All right, per Adam Schefter, JM to win is active today after getting in an LP, LP, and then a full practice yesterday. We are here to break down the Week 17 GPP slate. It's a packed one, 13 games. Let's roll. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levin Chan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. In that 66, I went all the way. Hey everyone. All right, jam to win. Back, do you got your voice? How are we doing after the bout with laryngitis? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm mostly there. Uh it's one of those things you wake up and nobody cares, but you wake up in the morning, you, your throat still hurts. You right before bed, your throat still hurts. Uh when I'm trying to read to my son before his bedtime, I have to like Take a deep breath so that the air is not passing over my uh, whatever sore sore spot in my throat while I'm reading. But um, but yeah, we're we're good to do podcasts. We'll see how I am uh, three hours from now when I'm doing my third hour of podcasts. But right now we're in good shape. So uh, yeah, ready to rock and roll. Glad I didn't lose my spot to Lord Reeves after last week. We talked about that for the show. One of the goats. Uh, haven't had a chance to listen to him and, and Hilo for week 17 yet. But one of my favorite listens. So glad we had him stepping in last week. Yeah, and I was uh, I was laughing with JM. I, I talked about it on my portfolio review show on uh, on Monday. But the team I built with Reeves, like the second the pieces clicked into place, Reeves was like, "Oh shit! Like this is the line. <laughs> like I, this is what I would have played." Because I guess what happened is that he did searching for ceiling with Hilo right before my show, and he said that they had talked about the Joe Flacco double with Devin Singletary, but I don't think they had fleshed it out from there. Um, so we started with that and then fleshed it out in a way that Hilo ended up putting in, was it the 555 millionaire? Yeah, the 555 milli. And I don't, <laughs> he didn't watch the block party with you guys. And so no. he put this roster in and then he's texting us on Sunday and he's like, man, I'm supposed to be the leverage guy. I'm duped four times in the 555 <laughs> milli. And, uh, and we're like, how did this happen? I was saying, I, I don't think I've ever been duped in 10 years. And like, I'm like a roster that's doing well. I've looked at it and been like, God, somebody has the exact same roster. Uh, so then we saw that it was the exact roster built on the show. So uh, funny too, because I listened to I listened to uh, Hilo and Reeves last week. And I was on I was on Amari. I was on Njoku. I was on Flacco, but not as high in them. And after I listened to him, it kind of clicked into place. And I had a Saturday afternoon update to my player grid where it was like, hey, this, this is like what I – and mostly focused on this week is like this stack. It just ended up uh, everything came together on that stack, obviously because it led to that Amari play, but all the pieces around it, like Najoku was still worth playing Flacco, obviously, obviously one of the better plays on the slate. So uh, yeah, pretty fun weekend, uh, big weekend for the OWS fam as is kind of expected on, on weekends like that. We actually had our fourth win of the season in the slant, which is awesome. Unreal. Uh, took down, I think it was a smaller spy, but took down one of the spies, took down the red zone, took down the flea flicker. So uh, yeah, man, it's been a fun season. Hopefully we keep it going these last two weeks. I know. Yeah, we get, you know, to me, this feels like the last, you know, big regular slate, you know, because you get so much chaos in week 18, not saying that we're not going to play, uh, although I will be in the cash game streets next week. Uh, Jam, you remember I do. That's right. You play cash games. I don't play week 18. It's like, I mean, okay. it's like a different sport, you know, It is. and I, uh, I prep as if I'm playing. And then like when I finish my work on Friday, I don't do playoff content. I don't play playoff DFS. So it's like, I finished my work on Friday and I'm like, wait a second, I'm done for the year. The last thing I want to do is like, go figure out this 15 game slate with like all these backup players playing. And so I'm just like, yeah, I'll take Saturday off. So <laughs> uh, yeah, next week will be an interesting one. But I, I, I agree with you. This is the last like real DFS slate. Next week is the prize money still there, but it's like a different sport than uh, what we're playing these first 17 weeks. 
Yeah, so all that to say, we got to take advantage of this one here. I'm going to pull up the uh, the macro slate overview here as we pull this up. Like I said, we have uh, one really good game tomorrow night that's not on the main slate, Lions-Cowboys 52-point total. But then, JM, I mean, so many different ways to go this week. We, of course, have a lot of injury situations. We're also monitoring. We generally get a, a few of those resolved while we're on the show on Fridays as that practice news dump comes in. But what are your just overall? thoughts of this week 17 uh, slate yeah it's an interesting week in that I was putting together my player grid this morning kind of the initial pieces and, and the structure of it uh, and I have I have like no one-off wide receivers or tight ends mm. that are outside of the handful of games where I'm also interested in the quarterbacks or interested in the way that the games could play out so like my my bonus pool if you're a OWS subscriber you'll see it later today but like my bonus pool where it's like Hey, here's kind of the mix and match pieces that don't fit into the the light blue chips or the blue chips and aren't part of the build arounds and kind of core stuff. Uh, here's like the extra pieces that I'm also interested in. And and I was I had to go through my DFS interpretations a second and third time just to make sure because it was like oh I literally have no wide receivers and wow. no tight ends. Uh, but that's a function of you know the the 49ers are playing the Commanders, the Eagles are playing the Cardinal Cardinals, the Rams have this concentrated offense playing the Giants. Like we're probably getting a, a 30ish point score from each of those offenses and then there's a handful of other really interesting spots in terms of like comprehensive team or game environments some that are going to stand out to people some that actually won't stand out to people that are really interesting we'll talk about them on on the show today but uh well i'm not a fortune teller but i would imagine we'll talk about them on, on the show today uh but yeah so that's kind of how i see it is like there's there's five or six games you know obviously colts and raiders there's running backs in that game but there's like five or six games that are just completely off the board for me it's not to say that there won't be good scores that come from those but I see clear tiers in terms of like, you know, you got the three offenses I mentioned, and then you got a couple of game environments that are really interesting. And then everything else, it's like, yeah, something could happen here, but I'm not going to chase it myself. So that's how I see the slate setting up. And that is unique, right? In that I feel like if we had, say, a really small slate, say it was like six games, a bunch of low totals, you might just be like, hey, I am going to be all in on a few of these games and a few of these stacks that I like. Whereas I think in general, right, when we have a ton of options, normally it's like, man, you might need the guy who scores 30 in this game and you might need this piece over here and this piece over here. But you're actually saying despite all of the options, you're still going to be like very concentrated within specific teams and game environments. Yeah, there's like a split, right? It's like I'm more spread out in terms of of the game environments I'm focused on the normal, right? Maybe it might be like two, three or four offenses or game environments. Then this week it's more like six or seven, I guess six. Um, but then there's like the rest of the games kind of are just clearly below that to where, again, it's not to say that you can't get, and in, in my angles podcast uh, later, I'm going to kind of go game by game and talk about wh why I'm like not pulling the players from those games. So if any of you are kind of curious on that, uh, that's on the one week season podcast feed. That'll be up later today, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's not that you can't pull pieces from those games, but it's just that I see the percentage chances being a lot lower in those spots. And so I'm going to focus on these other spots that really stand out to me. So let me see, it's two, four, yeah, six games that are just like outside of a couple running backs from these six games, just completely off the table for me. And then seven games that I'll be really focused on. Well, let's, uh, let's get right into it. We are, uh, a little ahead of schedule here in a good way. I want to make sure we can dive in to all of these positions. Let's start, you know, with the cover boy, Brock Purdy, uh, obviously at his worst game of the season on Monday night football, uh, came away with a stinger, but does look like he's going to be good to go. Um, they have a massive, uh, team total. It's an awesome spot here against the commanders. Uh, any thoughts here just in general about Brock Purdy? 
Yeah, I, I I think that box score watchers will probably be, you know, he's, he's playing the commanders and the DFS field is smart enough at this point to recognize what a good matchup this is, that Purdy's probably going to bounce back and have a good game. I do think that there's, when you go to click the Purdy button, the box score watchers will feel a little bit more hesitation, a little bit more hesitation. If you look at Purdy's stats from the time he took over, if he had been a top five draft pick, nobody would have hesitation. It's just this persistent question that people have of like, is Brock Purdy going to turn into a pumpkin? Realistically, the, the game last week, he had one bad mistake. Kyle Hamilton made a good play, picked the ball off. Uh, and then he had, you know, two tipped passes. I was listening to PFF this week and they were pointing out that percentage wise tipped passes have a 3% chance of getting intercepted. So two different tipped balls that end up being intercepted. Another play where he's kind of pressured from the backside, doesn't see the pressure, looked away from, you know, when he was looking to the right side, the pressure wasn't there. As soon as he looked away to the left, the his uh, right tackle got beat. So he doesn't see this pressure coming, uh, you know, gets hit as he's throwing and throws that fourth interception. So like the game wasn't as bad as the statistics look. And it was one of those games where, you know, it wasn't like the 49ers against the Cowboys, 49ers against the Eagles, where they truly blew them out on the field. That was a pretty close game. Just the scoreboard was lopsided. So, uh, yeah, I mean, pretty no concerns from me in this spot. I, I do think, you know, we get like maybe 12% or 14% where we would have gotten 17% if he'd had a big game last week against the Ravens. So that helps us a little bit. But I think the people, the field will be on Purdy and recognize what a sharp play he is in this spot. What's interesting to me is early ownership has obviously CMC really high, but not the wide receivers from this team. Uh, Kittle kind of high because his, his price works out. But um, obviously there's a lot of value in potentially playing. You know, Debo last five games, CMC has three games of 33 plus. Debo has two games of 37 plus and those games yeah. where Debo hit are the games where CMC went down. So you have that nice leverage where if Debo's hitting CMC isn't, we'll talk about that when we get to the building blocks, some interesting things that we can do this week, but uh, yeah, just, just a really nice spot. I mean, everybody knows, right. We don't need to talk too much about it. Just a really nice spot for the 49ers offense. Yeah. And I think you're completely right about Brock is going to come in less than he normally would. I always like using the battle Royale drafts as a sentiment indicator in a couple of weeks ago when they played the Cardinals, you know, a similarly good spot yeah, everything yeah. lined up. People were taking Brock Purdy 15, 16 overall, you know, always pairing him with one of those Niners this week, his ADP is like 25. He's going 10 spots later, similar team total, similar good matchup. And so that is getting baked in to how people feel about it. So I do think you're right that he's not going to come in, make a chalk in the way he would have if he lit up the Ravens uh, on national television. One question, getting your hand in the dirt. I've seen a lot of hand-wringing and concern over Trent Williams potentially being out and what that means for this offense. Does that factor into any of your analysis here? Uh, it wouldn't be a dramatic situation. I don't think so. He left last week. If I remember correctly, he left last week, wanted to come back in and they wouldn't let him. Um, I could be wrong on that, but no, I mean, if, if he doesn't play, you know, the commanders don't have a pass rush. They traded away yeah. sweat. They traded away chase young. Obviously part of what Trent Williams also does, like the kickout blocks that open up the space for Christian McCaffrey or the, the plays where they get him out in space. And, um, he's so athletic and he can get out there and plays a block for one of these wide receivers. Like that definitely creates a little bit. It's not just the pass rush, right? That creates a little bit of opportunity for the 49ers offense to not be at its best. But I would also consider that it's like what Zandemir always says with weather, like people are going to overreact to weather. And so even though weather can impact things, the most plus EV thing over time is just to ignore weather. And so uh, similarly, I think that the narrative around, man, how did the 49ers have these three weird bad games in the middle of the year? And everyone's like, hey, Trent Williams is out. Debo Samuel was out. Like, even though Trent Williams is a left tackle and typically the, the DFS field doesn't know their offensive linemen, their defensive linemen as well. Like Trent Williams has enough name value and enough narrative around him that I think that we could see people kind of thinking about that, overthinking that. 
And so I would prefer to underthink that, if that makes sense. So definitely makes a difference, right? Not just in terms of pass rush, but in terms of all the other things they use Trent Williams for. But uh, if he's out this week, I don't think that it would, I don't think it would pull me off of Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. And that's really like, I'm more toward the passing attack in this spot, not because it's a dramatically better, well, it is actually a significantly better matchup, but it doesn't really matter for Christian McCaffrey. So it's not like they project dramatically better. It's just that the ownership gap, they project similar and the ownership gap is going to be so far in the CMC side uh, that it draws me toward that pass catching side. And so uh, that doesn't really change anything for me there uh, because, you know, it doesn't affect the pass as much as it does the run anyway. It seems like the other, you know, quarterback who's going to be most attractive for people to click this week is Jalen Hurts uh, at home versus the Eagles. He is expensive, 8,300, and yet this is a pretty pristine matchup for them at home here. What are your thoughts on Jalen Hurts this week? It's another weird one where you got Hurts with high ownership, but A.J. Brown kind of low ownership, Devontae Smith low ownership. Uh, so Hurts was actually, he was like in my player pool. And then when I started filling it out, I didn't put him in. And then I was like, well, you got to put Hertz in, like, don't be hard headed. Um, you know, he, he's been banged up all season. He's probably not going to run the ball a ton against this zone heavy Cardinals defense that, you know, isn't going to bring heat on him. So I, I don't see the clear paths to a ceiling game. I don't see the clear paths to a had to have it game, but at the same time, why I ended up putting him back on my list was it was like, well, Realistically, I mean, Patrick Mahomes has one game all year north of what 25 yeah. points, 25.7, something like that. Uh, Lamar Jackson has all these games in the low 20s and could certainly have a game like that this week. Uh, Purdy could finish in the low 20s. So, like, realistically, we could see Hertz end up putting up 27 points, and it's kind of disappointing for his price tag. But that ends up if you're if you end up on like mid priced wide receivers who hit right, and that allows you to get this, this Jalen Hurts score, uh, like that raw score could end up being the best raw score on the slate. So, I don't I think he's overpriced for the expected production but there is still a way that this slate could fall out in terms of like let's say the high-priced running backs go for 22 points and Zamir White and Clyde Edwards Hilaire also go for 22 points right well all of a sudden now you've saved that salary to pay up for Hertz and so those raw points from Hertz end up mattering a lot more so I think there's a way that the slate could play out such that Hertz is is optimal but I don't think it will I don't think it will be from him scoring 35 points right and it's like Oh God, I didn't have hurts. I, he buried me. I think it would be more about like the way the rest of the slate falls out. So um, obviously he's always like that type of game is always in the mix for him, but it's just not really what, what you would expect more often than not in the spot. Before we go down to some of the value plays, do you have any other thoughts on the guys in the high end that we haven't mentioned yet? You got Josh Allen home versus the Patriots, 8,200 Lamar home versus the Dolphins, 7,700. And then this Patrick Mahomes price that keeps getting lower and lower 7,500 uh, at home versus the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, you could throw a two is going to come in at like sub 0.5% owned, right? Yeah. So two to two to Tiger Kill. If you don't have three percent of that in large field play, you're playing DFS incorrectly, right? You just like have to do that. But it uh, doesn't stand out on paper. Doesn't stand out to me for tighter builds. Uh, Josh Allen is kind of in the in the Hertz bucket, but with a broader range of outcomes. Like he's not likely to put up a 35 pointer, but he could put up a 27 pointer, 28 pointer. He could also miss like a little bit more than Hertz could. So. Uh, Josh Allen doesn't stand out on paper, but kind of viable. And then Mahomes, you know, I went into my Mahomes DFS interpretation write up to be like, look, this dude, like this offense has scored 21 or fewer in six of their last eight games. And they're implied to score 25 or 26 points, whatever it is at this point. Mahomes has one tournament worthy game all year. And I was going to go in there and be like, like, it makes no sense to play this guy. And then I started thinking, 
if there's one spot where Mahomes is just going to like suddenly surprisingly erupt for a big game, it's going to be like all the negativities piled up and they're playing the Bengals, this Bengals team that's kind of had their number in the past. And, and now they don't have Burrow and Chase has been talking trash this week about the, the chief secondary and like, man, Mahomes is probably going to come out and have this big game. And so I thought it would be this super sneaky. What my thought was like, man, nobody's going to be on Mahomes. going to be 2% owned. And I was like, uh, he's going to be our building block on the show. And he's going to be like the signature play for us this week. Uh, and if he misses, that's okay. If he hits, like, great. And then I, I flip open, flip over the cards this morning. He's like projecting for 9% ownership. Yeah. I was just like, this makes no sense to me. But it's very similar to the week when Lamar Jackson had 37 DraftKings points, I think it was. And same thing, like Thursday night, I was like, man, Lamar Jackson's really sneaky. It's not a great spot, but people aren't going to think about him. He's really sneaky. And then kind of look on Friday morning, he's projected for high ownership. And it pulled me off of him because I was like, dude, not good enough spot for him to be high owned. And then he goes out and puts up 37 points. So like I've tried to learn from those things and recognize that even though he shouldn't be high owned and he's going to be high owned, the fact that I identified it as a sneaky spot still means like it's a sneaky spot. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that Mahomes' ownership is out of whack. Rasheed Rice, he's topped 20 points twice all year. He's yeah. on track to be one of the most popular wide receivers at 6,900. I mean, none of it makes any sense. But when I identified it as like a sneaky spot, like I still have to let that stand out in my mind. And so, yeah, Mahomes, Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey, that whole thing still I think is interesting this week, even though they'll be higher owned than they should be. Yeah, and I think I would. If I were able to bet on Patrick Mahomes not being the second most popular quarterback on the slate, I would I would make that bet. Um, I think that if people want to get access to this offense, I think they might just say, hey, I'll play one-off Rashi Rice or I'll play Travis Kelsey as a one-off. But just because people, I think, feel so burned. And then you look at the opportunity cost at 7,500 and the other kind of quarterbacks and plays you could get access to. So I don't know. I'm calling a little bit of BS on that, but it is interesting that the the algorithm is kind of saying, hey, people are going to be on this guy. Um, there's so many plays in the mid-range that I don't even know which one to highlight. I'll let you kind of choose your own adventure here. Who, who else jumps out? Because it does sound like there's a couple other quarterbacks you're interested in here. Yeah, we skipped over Stroud. I think Stroud's very interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that game a little bit later. If not, uh, listen to the Angles podcast if you're interested in my thoughts on that. Uh, down at the lower end, uh, Matthew Stafford. People just continue to not play Matthew Stafford. Uh, I guess not lower end, but 6,600. I think he's very interesting. And then when we get farther down, there's actually two guys I really like. Ty Tyrod Taylor is, you know, he's going to be somewhat popular just because of what he costs. And that's really why he's valuable. He, you can kind of work through the numbers. Uh, you can Uticow it, right? You can be the sim in your head and you can be like, how many passing yards is he realistically going to get, right? 200, 225. Like he's not going to throw for 300 yards. How many rushing yards is he realis realistically going to get? 20, 30, right? So if he adds two touchdowns to that, you're talking about like an 18, 19 point game maybe things break heavily in his favor and he puts up 22, 23, right? Um, he's not like a tournament winner because of the score he's going to put up, but he could be a, similar to what we said with Hertz, like just the way that the salary could work out. If all the quarterbacks score mid to low twenties and, and he's getting in that range for 4,600, that can really help you out a lot, especially, you know, if you're like, Hey, I want one, I built a roster earlier where I was like, can I get one 49er piece, one Ram piece, one Eagle piece, uh, I like Darren Waller a lot at tight end, right? So it was like, oh, man, you put Tyrod Taylor in here and uh, you can make this happen. And I could fit Nico Collins on there if I went DeAndre Swift as my Eagles piece. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot to to pay attention to in that spot just from a, what it creates. And then the other one, nobody's going to be on, but Derek Carr, who, has, yeah. you know, we entered the season, people were really on this Saints team, the Saints offense. And now they've got this match against the Bucks that we've been kind of attacking all year, except the one week where I said, don't play Desmond Ritter. And he, Went off against the Bucs in that game, but uh, we've been attacking this Bucs matchup all year. This is a have-to-have-it game for the Saints, Saints team that's played really well against the Bucs over the last couple of years. And so um, we've got, you know, no Taysom Hill. You've got 
Um, Rashid Shahid playing like last week, it was like 49 out of 60 snaps. And you've got him on the field all the time as a true number two, Chris Alave. So uh, I think Derek Carr is just super interesting at 5,500. The type of guy who can put up 25 to 28 points. And that could be what Jalen Hurts puts up. And that could be what Tua and Lamar put up, or they could put up less than that. And you just end up with this, like a lot of savings, matching the score that these other guys are getting, uh, tying it all together. So yeah, I think that Carr is the other guy down here who's really interesting to me. I'll tell you what, um, this is a, a complete side tangent, but I will, I promise you people, I will have a Derek Carr stack uh, on DraftKings this week. Uh, my best ball mania team that narrowly missed the finals was a Derek Carr stack with him and Olave. I don't think it was going to be very popular whatsoever. Had the Mike Evans bring back. I promise you, JM, I am not going to have that hit and not be able to benefit somewhere this weekend. So I'm with you, I like on Derek Carr. I like it. Oh <laughs> man, that's the worst when you have that roster that just barely doesn't make the cut. Yeah. Uh, it stings, but yeah, no, I, I do objectively like, uh, the spot this week. I was listening to the edge audio, uh, this morning too. And, uh, uh, I don't know who wrote that specific interpretations up, but they were talking about, uh, even kind of liking the Rashad white, Chris Olave mini, just the ways you attack it. And the saints defense, um, not being as imposing over the run. I think they were saying their, their DVOA run grades have dropped off more in the past five weeks relative to what they were the whole season, more than any other team this year. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a really interesting game environment when, when we look up, you know, we have these games every week where you look up and you're like, oh, this game combined for 60 points, right? This could be one of those types of games. Obviously it could be low scoring as well, but um, it's one of those games you could look up and see that uh, to a lesser extent, the the Texans and Titans game is one of those for me as well, but uh, yeah. really Bucks and Bucks and Saints is one of those that, that could really take off. Yeah, let's, um, I'm trying to think here. I guess one other guy I wanted to ask you about, he was standing out to me in Battle Royale drafts just because he was going completely undrafted. But do you have any thoughts about Justin Fields uh, at home here versus the Falcons? It's kind of a showcase, right? The Falcons are like, I mean, yeah, the Falcons are like the one team that it really makes sense for Justin Fields to go there as a starter and them to pay him starter money. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way that their offense functions, what they need at quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Falcons defense is so good and it's people don't necessarily realize it because the falcons do give up points but they give up points because of all the turnovers from their offense throughout the season uh but you know they're near the top of the league and um point prevention they've given up i think two quarterbacks of top 236 passing yards against them all season uh like one running back has topped 70 something yards uh so yeah i mean it's not it's not a good spot i mean it's such a such a not good spot that, you know, obviously DJ Moore has the ankle issue as well, but such a not good spot that I'm not even on DJ Moore, who I'm always on at this point. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Fields falls into that, technically falls into that bucket of, hey, you can always consider him. At the same time, he's got the two 30-pointers this year that we could see coming. He was against Washington. It was against Denver when they were playing so poorly. He had the two 40-plus pointers last year, and we could see both of those coming. Like, I had 50-plus percent Fields both of those weeks uh, last year. So it's like we have – so far been able to identify the fields blow up games before they come. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think the chances of it happening are pretty low, but not a guy that, that I would say don't take a swing on because, you know, he busts off one or two long runs and, and you know, it doesn't matter that the rest of the game doesn't go his way. Yeah. Let's uh let's transition to running back. You obviously have Christian McCaffrey, very expensive and yet still projecting as an insane value just because his projection is so nuts. We do have some newsy stuff with some other popular running backs. I just saw Isaiah Pacheco is trending toward playing. He returned to practice today. Wow. So that could that could blow up the CEH stuff who is trending to be very popular. Um, where do you want to start uh at running back? Either high end value, what do you like him? Yeah, the I mean the high end is CMC and and Kyron Williams I think are really the the two guys and I think that 
we've seen, it's worth pointing out that we've seen over the last two years that more often than not, the most plus EV way to play things is to pay down at running back and to pay up at wide receiver because the ceilings are generally higher on the wide receivers. And we've had a few weeks recently with all the quarterback injuries and then the top wide receivers off the main slate where it just hasn't worked out that way. And it's actually been better to spend up at running back. But I do think that this week you're going to see everybody kind of just auto playing. Uh, there's a cat on the roof across the street from me. Uh, you're going to just see everybody auto playing Christian McCaffrey and Kyron Williams where, you know, Christian McCaffrey very easily could put up what's his last several games. So 28, 44, then 19, 22, 33, 21, 20, like, he could very easily put up 20 points, right? Yeah. That's that's well within his range of outcomes. I think he's top 24 points like five times in the season. Uh, Kyron Williams, again, same thing. We can go through his game logs real quickly, but 19, 29, 17, 20, 41. So like you got the 29-pointer, you got three games of, of 20 and below, and then the 41-pointer. Like it, you could very easily see everybody pay up for these guys and then instead you could play Zamir White and Isaiah Pacheco or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or whoever you get down to and kind of get the same type of score. DeAndre Swift could put up the same type of score. So uh, I do think these guys are obviously the best running back plays. I also yeah. think there's a strong case to be made for saying, man, if these guys are going to be so high owned at the cost of the wide receivers on their teams, like uh, paying up for A.J. Brown, paying up for Debo Samuel, paying up for Cooper Cup or Puka Nakua, um, you know, it's a very interesting way to go this week. So, yeah, those guys are the, the guys at the top and then – um, Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift are kind of the main guys for me in the middle. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, and Zamir White are kind of the main guys for me down at the bottom. Yeah, it sounds like Jonathan Taylor is going to have that backfield to himself. Uh, look like Zach Moss might have been trending in the right direction, but he's now uh, officially ruled out. So I do like that a good bit. And yeah, I mean, the DeAndre Swift stuff, man, you know, th there's certain ways, you know, he almost scored twice in that game. And you do wonder if he gets in twice there is DeAndre Swift versus this Arizona team that Christian McCaffrey has dropped, you know, 50 points on <laughs> twice or whatever. Would DeAndre Swift be mega chalk here? I, I honestly think he would be, but people are so burned by the tush push that I think they're not just going to pile in on DeAndre Swift. No, yeah, I agree. And I'll point out, you know, that the... Nick Sirianni, a player's coach, uh, fans last week took to chanting for the Eagles to run the ball. Uh, Nick Sirianni made a comment on it uh, in his, one of his press conferences. He said he could have been wearing two headsets and he still would have heard the fans wow. chanting that. Um, and, you know, there's like a desire for them to get the ball from the fans, for them to get the ball to DeAndre Swift more. And what better spot than against the Cardinals? So there is some narrative in addition to, hey, this, this being a great spot. For a guy who's still getting – I mean, he's getting 20 touches basically – every game or in that range of 20 touches. It's just that the touchdowns aren't there, but if they get stopped at the two yard line, instead of the one yard line, he's going to get the touch instead of Jalen Hurts. There's just been so many times this year where they've been stopped at the one yard line instead of at the two or the three. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Swift is just on paper, just a tremendously sharp play this week. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. And he's, yeah, he's very affordable. I don't think he's going to be popular right now. I'm seeing him projected at 7% uh, ownership. So uh, very much with you there. One guy, someone in the chat just mentioned that I wanted to get your take on as well, Travis Etienne at home. I mean, I have a feeling if we did this show, what, 10 weeks ago, and I told you Travis Etienne was 7,200 versus the Carolina Panthers, and he was going to be, you know, 10% ownership. You would have uh, made him our cover boy here, but times have changed. Any thoughts on this spot? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always lower on Etienne than the field. Mm. So if the field <laughs> likes him at 10%, I like him less than that. I was this morning, like when I was putting together my, my kind of player pool for the player grid, and and it was like, man, I only have a handful of running backs 
who else would I put on here? Etienne was definitely one of the first ones who stood out. Um, he has not been playing well. Their offensive line has been playing horribly lately. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has been playing horribly lately. If he's not out there, then you've got CJ Beathard. Uh, it's just, it's not a great setup. And, and, you know, we're not seeing that workhorse type of role. We're not seeing all the touches. Um, but no, I mean, no arguments against ETN in terms of if somebody's like, dude, uh, people are not on ETN and he could put up 35 points. My answer is, yeah, he absolutely can. Um, not a guy that I'm finding myself gravitating toward, but I do think that the, the case that you can make for him is a sharp case. It's just, I kind of have to pick and choose what my player pool is. And I've got a broad pool at wide receiver and quarterback. So my running back pool is necessarily going to be tighter on a week like this. And, and ETN is just not in the pool for me. If CEH doesn't become available because of Pacheco, I'm guessing the field is going to be very, very interested in this game time decision for Josh Jacobs as it pertains to Zamir White at 5,100. Uh, thought, let's let's work under the assumption right now that Jacobs doesn't play, and let's work under the assumption that you know Pacheco does. Like, what is your thoughts on Chalk uh, Zamir White here? Uh, great question. So I guess I wouldn't want to overthink it. You got a 5,100 running back this this game's not going to be a blowout to where the Raiders can't run the ball even if they got down 13 points that's how they want to play football I mean Aiden O'Connell had zero completions in the second third and fourth quarter last week right like the Raiders know that they need to run the football Antonio Pierce wants to run the football so you have a guy who's you know he's, he's got five targets for the last two games I think three catches so it's not like he has this big pass catching role he could very easily I said in my DFS interpretations he could easily rush for 85 yards and not catching passes, not scoring touchdowns, and that's all you get, right? And so you're aware that that's within the, the range of outcomes. At the same time, you have a guy who the game flows unlikely to go in a direction where he's not getting those 15 to 25 touches, um, and there's just a lot of value in that. So I think that the, the fear of, oh, what if it doesn't work out is present, but that would be the same on a running back at 6,500 who's in the same situation where it's like, man, he's going to get a ton of touches and he needs the touchdowns. But, you know, so yeah, his range of outcomes is like eight points to 30 points, but I'll take the risk of the eight points, even at high ownership for what it does to uh, um, roster construction, because I don't know that other, I think other people are going to use that to get up to CMC or get up to Kyron Williams. Whereas I might be able to use that for double pay up at wide receiver and have like a materially different roster construction than the field is going to have. Let's see some other running backs. The chat asking about my guy, Sammy was wondering how you feel about either of the pit running backs against a, a pretty bad Seattle running back defense, or is that just too much of a split to be interesting? Yeah, at this point, it's, it's not something I've been going to lately, but um, again, it, it's when I have a pool this small, like the guys who aren't in the pool are going to be guys that I'm going to, I'm, I'm not saying, God, this guy's in a horrible spot, right? You can make a case for them. Uh, I'm not making that case, but yeah, not arguing against it either. Yep. And then one other in the chat here, uh, Brad says he's locking in James Cook. He's been a printing press, was certainly a printing press in weeks 14 and 15, very much was not a printing press in week 16. What's your thought on this matchup for James Cook? Uh, I mean, I don't like the matchup. The Patriots, obviously great run defense, uh, great defense all around. And then, you know, just traditionally don't allow running backs to score on the ground because analytically that's the easiest way to score when you get inside the five yard line inside the 10 is on the ground so the Patriots hold defense shifts I mean you go back 10 years and it's like eight of the last 10 years they've been top three in running back touchdown prevention on the ground uh, like literally for a decade they've been top three uh, almost every year so that's just something the Patriots defense fundamentally does does is try to force opponents to score through the air when they get close to the end zone so 
Um, not a great matchup, and the price tag is kind of caught up to the role and the production. So not a guy who's on my list. But again, you know, you got a guy who, the, the, if if look CMC and Kyron Williams are great plays, right? They both of them can go for forty points. But if they don't, if they both go for twenty, and Jonathan Taylor right hasn't topped I think twenty one points all season. DeAndre Swift has has barely topped fifteen points most weeks. Um, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, if if Pacheco's out, so it looks like Pacheco's at practice, but not cleared from concussion, right? Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. Okay. Um, so if, if Clyde, if Clyde Edwards Hilaire is the, the starter there, if Samir White, you know, has this lead role, like both those guys could end up with eight, nine points. So like you could end up with just picking the right guy who's not on my list that puts up 25 to 28. And you're just so far ahead of the field because like this running back chalk is not chalk, but like my running back pool is like a little bit more fragile price considered than it might be at other points in the season, other weeks in the season. So uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind like Saquon Barkley's not on my list, but I saw that he's kind of drawing some uh, attention from, from the field this week. Like there's plenty of guys. Austin Eckler's not on my list, but a guy I considered, Bijan Robinson, was on the fringes of my list. I decided not to put him on there. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could go at, at running back this week and still say this is a viably sharp way to go. Or, or I could say, say, say that differently, like my pool could look a little bit different with the same, pro- same thought process that I had creating this pool. Yeah, only other one more to ask you about. Um, just because watching that Chiefs run defense get lit up by, you know, Zamir White a good bit last week. Any love for the Bengals, Joe Mixon, I guess, specifically? Yeah, I was looking at him this morning. He's had that 29-pointer against Jacksonville, and that's really his only useful score all season. Um, I have been almost completely off Joe Mixon since the start of last year. Obviously burned me on his his 50-plus point game last year. It was the same week as as the field's. 50 pointer um, that I had everywhere and didn't have any Mixon. Uh, I think I actually had him in the week of his 29 pointer, but yeah, I mean, just Mixon's just a guy I'm generally not playing, but certainly viable in this yeah. spot. Um, and again, like I said, my, my running back pool is narrow less because these guys stand out so much from the other running backs and more because my quarterback and wide receiver pools are a little bit more broad. So I like to have a, a more narrow running back pool on weeks like that. So I've kind of picked what my pool is going to be. But there, I mean, even Zeke, Zeke's going to be popular. You can make a case for him being one of these guys. Like there's so many different guys you can make a case for this week uh, and not a lot separates this guy from that guy. So I would say if you're watching this and and you're curious, you know, like, oh, should I not play this guy because JM doesn't have this guy in his pool? Or maybe I should devalue the way I'm looking at this guy because um, somebody that I'm listening to doesn't see it. Like I still see it with all these guys, right? Like there's so many different ways that my six player running back pool could have looked this week. Um, and and Mixon is part of that mix, and Elliott's part of that mix, and Eckler's part of that mix, Bajan's part of that mix, uh, Saquon's part of that mix. So yeah, I mean, I think it was just kind of like kind of clumped up this week at running back. Yeah, let's um let's move on to wide receiver then and uh and dig in here with this slate. Uh you mentioned Tyreek uh earlier. Looks like he should be uh good to go in this game. Had a decent game last week. Jalen Waddle is ruled out. He's clearly at the top. You mentioned uh, AJ Brown not going to catch a ton of ownership, just kind of with his price tag and recent, you know, downstretch here. Um, I saw Puka miss practice today. He's another guy projecting well at the top end. Um, what jumps out to you here? And we can kind of move through maybe some of these stacks you like because it sounded like most of your wide receiver love was tied to their quarterbacks. Yeah, quarterbacks are game environments. So these guys north of 7K, uh, Tyreek, AJ Brown, the Rams. Uh, the 49ers, both guys, Debo and Ayuk. Interesting about Ayuk, you know, he's got six touchdowns in the year. He has six games in the year of 100-plus yards. 
but he only has two games where that's lined up with 100 plus yards and the touchdown. So when you look at something like that, you have to recognize like this could all line up on a week together, uh, and that ends up you know paying off in a big way. And so uh, even though Ayuk doesn't have the, the the fantasy scores that make you feel comfortable or confident, like the production has been there. You just need it to line up. Um, and then Nico Collins, the other one uh, up here that I don't even know off the top of my head what his ownership was this week but uh or or you know friday ownership is projecting to be but uh yeah just another one where if this were a few weeks ago we had you know um i can't even find him on this list over here uh if we had uh our, our guy cj Stroud playing week in and week out right and then you got nico collins um in this spot against the titans everyone would be on him he's coming in at currently like four percent predicted ownership so um he's another one who stands out to me up here at the high ends of the price range um and yeah, those are the kind of the guys above 7K. And then uh, in that 6K range, you've got Rasheed Rice, who, again, I think he's going to be over-owned. I think he's overpriced, but he's still like nine to 12 targets. I think it's four straight games. Uh, you got the Saints or, or you got Chris Alave. I've got Saints listed in the player pool, but um, Chris Alave and then Rashid Shahid down cheaper. And then uh, January Hopkins, who I think is most interesting paired with the Texans wide receiver to kind of bet on you know, here's the thing. The Titans have a really good defense, but they give up a ton of yards, right? They're just the best red zone defense in football. So if the Texans are able to score in the red zone, like they're going to be able to move the ball. So if they score in the red zone, all of a sudden we're scored from outside the red zone, which they're really good at doing. All of a sudden you force the Titans to be more aggressive, to throw the ball more. And you have this opportunity for this back and forth type game where both guys are hitting. So um, that's kind of that range. And then you've got the um, Zay Flowers in the, in the 5Ks and uh, Cardinals wideouts are kind of the cheap ones that I like. And really nothing on my list outside of that. So where I need salary savers, it'll be just kind of like, okay, who can I stomach or who can I put in? As in, there's not nobody like on my list that I want to put in below 6K. So it's, it'll just be kind of picking and choosing what I need to do there. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't see a ton of cheap value uh, on this slate there. Is this kind of talk a little bit more macro strategy, obviously with Brock as the cover boy, I'm sure it'll come up in our lineup build here as, as well. But is this kind of like a, a niner in every lineup kind of week for you, where it's just like hard to imagine not one of those guys being optimal? I mean, I think it's, it's highly probable that a Rams piece scores 27 plus DraftKings points. It's highly probable that a 49ers piece scores 27 plus DraftKings points. So, um, it would be ideal to get, you know, somebody from each team on your rosters because if there aren't a lot of 27 plus point DraftKings scores, then that gives you that opportunity to hit those ones. But uh, you do have to guess among these players who's going to do it. So there's certainly other viable ways to go. I, I don't know that I'll have a strict 149er roster in 149er per roster rule or one Ram per roster rule because of the way that the pricing sets up there. But I certainly wouldn't be averse to it. And I would certainly, if you can find a way to make the pricing work, I would certainly encourage it because that's going to be one of the clearer pathways to scoring that tournament winning score uh, is to focus on those offenses. So, um, yeah, and I mean, you know, Tyreek Hill is Tyree Kill is kind of like a lesser one-off play this week just because of how good the Ravens are. This The way this game environment is likely to go is kind of this middling scoring game environment. Uh, but Kyle Hamilton... It looks like he's trending toward out, which is like mm. a big, I mean, he's the biggest difference maker on that defense. The defense that really is a lot of what they're good at, um, you know, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, those guys are excellent in the middle, uh, but really mostly what they're good at is just the scheme and what they throw at opponents and, and how much they confuse opponents. And then Kyle Hamilton's like the one superstar player on that defense. So you take him out and it just becomes like scheme and mixing and matching, which is more like, you know, not to say that the 
Ravens talent drops all the way down to the Vikings, but you become more like a Vikings type defense where it's like, man, they're really tough to play against, but certain teams and coaches and players can find ways to break their rules and pick them apart. So uh, if Kyle Hamilton misses, I do think that it, it elevates Tyree Kill in a way that people might not recognize or anticipate. Uh, but if Kyle Hamilton plays, Tyree Kill kind of becomes this one-off where it's like, yeah, he probably gets you 25 to 30, but does he bury you for not rostering him? Probably not. So um, yeah, it kind of brings me down to like that, that the Eagles, Rams, 49ers pieces is, is where that attention starts to flow. I assume you have some interest in Chris Olave if you're on Derek Carr, 26 DraftKings points uh, last Thursday night. Looks like he should be healthy despite some limited practices, but man, this Bucks defense is fun to pick on. Yeah, I have three touchdowns in his last six games, which doesn't sound like a ton, but he only has four touchdowns all year. You know, <laughs> uh, Missing Taysom Hill has kind of helped him, uh, has helped this whole offense in the red zone. Red zone has been a real issue for the Saints all season. So uh, Chris Olave, you know, his chances of a two-touchdown game are always going to be low, but he can put, put up 100 yards with ease. He can put up a touchdown. Um, so definitely like Chris Olave. And then, like I said, Rashid Shahid is just – I mean, he's a guy that I've been obviously playing at a high rate all season and playing him at a high rate when he's been playing 40, 50% of the snaps. Um, now he's playing 80 plus percent of the snaps. And I mean, you've got a guy who still has a broad range of outcomes, but his chances of missing are lower. Like his chances of posting a dud are now lower and the ceiling on his hits is now higher. So uh, Rashid Shahid, kind of, he's grouped in with, um, with Alave on my list over here. So when I was saying the cheaper guys I like, I kind of skipped over him, but uh, yeah, I mean, very much Rashid Shahid stands out as one of my favorite plays on the slate as well. I like that. Um, thoughts on uh, the Seahawks wide receivers, Tyler Lockett coming on a little bit, uh, 11 targets last week. You know, JSN's been playing well. Um, those guys are, you know, pretty affordable, I would say, relative to their role. Do you like this spot for the Seahawks passing game? Yeah, sort of sort of fringe interest for me. They're not on my on my list, but they're also guys that, if I need that eighth or ninth piece on a roster, I'll, you know, the salary works out. I'll put them in there. Uh, the, you know, I've said it for a decade now, like you only play, generally speaking, you only play Seattle pieces when the game environment cooperates because the way Pete Carroll manages games is that, that like, he's not going to be bombing downfield if the C Seahawks are in control of a game. He's not just like, Hey, let's get a 14 point lead. Let's get a 21 point lead. Let's keep throwing the ball. Um, so you kind of need Pittsburgh to push the pace, but at the same time, the price tags that was in the past where it was like, these Seahawks wide receivers, Baldwin and then Lockett and Metcalf, like they've always been 6,300 and above in terms of price tag. So now that Lockett, you know, kind of dropped, I don't even know where Lockett's price is this week. Uh, 57 is 56 last week yeah. and JSN was 46 last week. He's 48 now. Like now that the price tags are kind of here on these guys, I don't mind the, the swings on them, even though the game environment's not as likely to cooperate because we have seen there it's plus EV over time. You make the most money over time, just avoiding these guys outside of specific game environments. But you do see the random 30 pointer from a Seahawks wide receiver where the game environment doesn't cooperate. So um, it's it's not typically plus EV to chase that. But now that the price tags are down, uh, either of these, you know, JSN hasn't done it yet, but either of these guys could post a 30 pointer. So, um, yeah, I mean, those guys are like not in my pool. And that's what I mean by like there's going to be guys this week who are not in my pool, but I'll be like, oh, well, I don't mind playing this guy if, if that's the last piece I need to unlock everything else. So both those guys are in that bucket for me. Uh, one guy I wanted your thoughts on, he's returning this week out in the full practice, um, a little pricey. So I think his ownership is going to be in check, but, uh, what are your thoughts on Michael Pittman as well in this matchup? Pete, you know, my thoughts on Michael Pittman, Do Michael it. Pittman's the, uh, Michael Pittman's the Keenan Allen of, 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 I didn't know you, days. I, I didn't know you had as much disdain for Michael Pittman as you did. Uh, Keenan yeah. Allen I mean, there. he's got the, you know, he's got a 30 pointer on the year. 
that's that's great. Everything else is 23 points <laughs> and below. You know, like he had yeah. two 30 pointers last year. And and the 30 pointer, it came in a game with 16 targets. And that's the thing with Keenan Allen in the past, right? It's like, yeah, it's not that, I mean, these guys are phenomenal wide receivers. It's just that their role is set. Michael Thomas back in the day when he had his record record setting season, I played him like twice that year because their role is such that they have to ha run into a game environment that produces a 16, 17, 19 target game in order for them to just hit the price, the, the score you need at their price tag. So it's not that they can't like Pittman shown, he hit, he hit that 30 pointer. He was popular that week. It's not that these guys can't hit 30 points. It's just that so much needs to fall into place just for them to hit 30 points. And then that pathway is not like Nico Collins where you're like, man, he's hit 37 plus points twice this year. Or Debo Samuel's done it twice in his last four games. Like it's not like that where they can post these just monster games it's like that's kind of their ceiling because they need so many targets just to hit that type of score. Um, you know, there was a uh, the Michael Michael Thomas record setting year. There was like one game where there was like a broken play and he scores like a 70 yard touchdown and like still had a heavy target game. So he ends up putting up like a true tournament winning game. Right. Like everything has to fall into place for a tournament winning game, like the broken play and the targets. So, yeah, I mean, I, I Pittman's like if people want to play him great, but they're typically getting they're paying play, paying up for the high floor that he provides and every once in a while he'll get that 30 pointer if all the targets fall into place and this doesn't look like a game environment where the targets will need to fall into place for him how about uh two guys who used to be no strangers to 30 point DraftKings games but now they're hard to come by uh stefan diggs Devonte adams diggs 8200 hasn't cleared i was looking at his box score hasn't cleared 10 DraftKings points uh or has done it once since week 10 uh i mean brutal stuff there Devonte adams uh hasn't been too hot either any love for those guys uh, you know, I, I would have, I'd be likely to go to Diggs than Devontae because Devontae yeah. is like, he's got two hands tied behind his back with Aiden O'Connell throwing him the ball. Uh, Diggs, the, I, I don't actually hate it, but the the Patriots, you know, Josh Allen has had a lot of success against the Patriots, but individual pass catchers haven't. The Patriots have basically forced the, you go through the box scores of the, their last five games against each other. The Patriots force Josh Allen to throw the ball to like a ton of different pieces. So um Bills have 200-yard games against the, the Patriots in their last five. One was Diggs putting up 104 yards, which doesn't do much for you at his price tag. One was Isaiah McKenzie on, a, on 12 targets putting up 100 yards a couple of years ago. So, um, yeah, kind of hard to see Diggs posting the type of score where you're like, God, why didn't I think of Diggs? Like, I can't win this tournament without him. You know, like, he's not going to post an Amari Cooper type of game where you had to have him. Uh, he could sneak his way to 25 to 30 points, but you kind of take on a low floor just to get to that type of score. Yep. Um, I guess one more one more game environment. I don't know if we've mentioned uh, at all. I guess you said Austin Eckler's name in passing. People are talking about Denver Chargers here. Uh, who knew there would be interest in a Jarrett Stidham Easton Stick game? But there appears to be so. Uh, anything in this game catch your eye? You know, last week we had a ten game, a nine game slate, right? So I was used to the DFS writing up my DFS interpretations for nine games. This week we hit thirteen games, and and that was the second to last game I wrote up. And I got to it, and I was like. I don't, I don't need to write anything here. You know, I was yeah. like, I don't have interest in this game. <laughs> like that was what I wrote up. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, again, it's a week you can make cases for guys. There's guys who aren't going to be on like a sharp pool list, but still in a pitting, but no, I don't have interest in that game. Um, before we go to tight ends and then build a lineup here, do you want to mention, uh, OWS is essentially giving away the sub Three. right now, <laughs> uh, 90% off with promo code Pete 90. Um, 
if if people do sign up, does that include any um, playoff DFS stuff as well? Yeah, so you're getting week 17, week 18. We have, you know, I, I don't do stuff in the playoffs, but we have like the full game breakdown in the playoffs, full scroll in the playoffs, player pool, strategy stuff. Uh, Hilo's still writing up a strategy piece. Mike is still doing his player pool. Um, so I, I'm not going to travel out of state uh, yeah. for playoff DFS. And I and I enjoy football enough that I like watching those games with actually like nothing on the line. But um but yeah, so we still have all of our playoff content minus my stuff. Uh, so yeah, you get projections and and the scroll and NFL edge game write-ups and all that uh, through all the way through the playoffs. There you go. Promo code Pete90, 90% off. Great way to get in there at just a, a bottom uh, of the barrel I think it's $22.90 $22. is what you end up paying. So uh, last weeks of the season, or you can play it by a week pass, which is like 29 bucks. So, uh, yep. <laughs> or you get the, uh, the rest of the season and all the playoffs for 22 90 Yep. I will, uh, as always, I do not build my lineups without checking, uh, out the scroll. And then on Sunday reading JM's, uh, final updates. Although occasionally you'll even get a voice memo, uh, version of the Sunday morning yeah. updates, which I enjoy. Um, all right, let's, uh, talk tight ends. We do got a little bit of time for that here, you know, just looking at, um, you know, the top guys, as far as projection, you of course got, uh, Kelsey at 7,000 McBride, uh, here you got George Kittle, um, and then we got that whole mid-tier. Anything jumping out to you at tight end? Yeah, Waller Waller put up 22 points against the Commanders the last time that Tyrod Taylor started. I think that's the only time all year that I've played Waller, uh, at least at heavy at heavy rates. Tyrod Taylor is very risk-averse in the way that he plays quarterback. So understanding what quarterbacks like to do is obviously very valuable to us. And uh, Tyrod Taylor is a guy who's going to take those underneath throws most of the game. So uh, good spot for Darren Waller. Against the Rams defense, it ranks, I believe it's 24th in DBOA against tight ends. So uh, Darren Waller, guy, is going to go overlooked, and uh, I like quite a bit. Isaiah Likely, I like. Uh, it's kind of the same price tag. And then uh, the guys you mentioned, right? Kittle, McBride, Kelsey, those are those are the guys. Uh, and it's one of those positions where that's my list, and then I recognize that in order to fill out my rosters, that I might have some rosters where it's like, hey, I need a cheap tight end. So they're, they're not in my pool, but it's like, hey, I might end up taking a swing on these other guys, say a Chico Conquo or, or even a Pat Fryermuth after his dud last week. But um, in terms of like who I actually like, who I will actually intend to build around, that's, that's really the list right there. That is such a, I, I guess that is really how you approach tight end, right? You're either like building around a spot or a guy you really like, or otherwise you're almost doing everything else. And it kind of falls in the defensive bucket where you're seeing what's fitting. Ideally, you get some correlation there. Like, would you toss in a Jawan Johnson with your Derek Carr type stuff if if the salary? Yeah, fit? yeah, exactly. And that's the best way to do it is if you can fill out that quarter, finish out that quarterback spot with that tight end. Um, fewer opportunities to do that this week because. Obviously, Lamar is expensive, and then you got Likely, and and um, who else? You know, uh, Purdy's expensive, and you've got Kittle. Uh, Kelsey, uh, Mahomes is expensive. You got Kelsey, but um, yeah, you can kind of fill out that that last spot. Also, I mean, Waller plus Tyra Taylor is nine K in salary. Yeah. <laughs> Think about nine uh, K running back and nine K wide receiver, and the score you're probably going to get from Tyrod plus Waller, or at least the range of outcomes, right? The floor plus ceiling that you're going to get from them. I mean, that's just a really sharp way to spend nine K in salary this week. Obviously opportunity cost, right? Because if some quarterback puts up 35, you're now not rostering that quarterback. You have to think about that as well. But um, yeah, if the quarterbacks kind of all score in the twenties this week, that just becomes a really sharp way to go. The only other guy who kind of stood out to me, and I, I assume you like him being on Stroud is, is Dalton Schultz at his price tag and projecting for fairly low ownership right now. doesn't look too bad to me. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even really thought about Dalton Schultz kind of more focused on the wide receivers in that game, but I like that shout. Um, a guy who can put up big games, Stroud back, 
um, a game that they need to have here. So yeah, I like that shout. All right. Awesome. It is now time to build a lineup on DraftKings. And before I even play the music, I, I have to offer this PSA. Don't dupe us, guys. Don't dupe us. <laughs> That was the other, the funny thing about that is I was doing my portfolio review and I was going through like the spies and the red zones and that lineup was duped in all of those. There was at least two of that same lineup in all those contests. So uh, people are are taking this as gospel here. I'll we, offer We've these. had enough weeks on this show where like the roster we build would have been worth playing. <laughs> like, yes. It is, it is, we need to like throw in one really bad play from now on. It is like, there is risk of, of the dupe. It is going to happen. If you dupe us though, you're going to be like matched up with other people as well. So maybe yeah. try to find one thing to do differently on those rosters. Exactly. That's what I even offered last week with Lord Reeves. Like he, he liked Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, both in that spot. And I was like, uh, guys, you can, you can play just one, uh, of those two. You could mix one it out, but you know, some people had to, had to ride with that lineup there. Um, all right, let me get my formatting here. We do have the, uh, the deposit kingdom league as always got it back bumped up to 400. We still got to earn our way back up to 420. We're at 228 entries right now. Uh, if you would like to join us in this contest, hop in the deposit kingdom discord, go to the announcement section. You'll find the link there. That is the only place that this link lives. And then I will recap the winners on the Monday morning portfolio review show. Uh, JM, uh, where do you want to kick us off here with this blank canvas? Are you a Barbara Streisand fan? Lover can't get enough of her. So there's a uh, a comedy from the '70s called What's Up Doc that I used to watch as a kid with my yeah. with my parents and my family. Um, and there's a uh, uh, guy uh, who plays him. Well, anyhow, Peter O'Toole. No, it's not Peter O'Toole. Anyhow, whoever plays him, Doctor Howard Bannister, and he's got his name tag on, and he's kind of like a bumbling idiot who makes a lot of mistakes. He's got his name tag on at this conference, but it's upside down. And everyone keeps saying to him, you're upside down. And, and he doesn't understand what they're saying. He's like turning his head. Anyhow, um, so this block is called the Dr. Howard Bannister because it Ooh. is upside down of what other people are going to be doing. So let's go ahead and assume that uh, Isaiah Pacheco is out. Yep. Um, if Isaiah Pacheco's in, it's great. Nobody can dupe this lineup. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do on this one is we're going to put in Zamir White. Yep. We're going to put in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And then not just go to high-priced wide receivers, but go to uh, high-priced wide receivers who are direct leverage off of those high-priced running backs Ooh. that other people are playing. So uh, we're going to try to do Debo and Cup and see if it will end up working salary-wise. Um, if it doesn't, we can go down to Ayuk is another way that we could do this. Uh, Puka is a little bit less expensive, so that's another way we could do it. But uh, yeah, the idea here is to say, uh, what if those high-priced running backs only score 20 points. And what if the low-cost low running backs also score 20 points? Well, if those high-priced running backs only score 20, then that increases the chance that one of the pass catchers on those teams is scoring 30. Uh, so we get those, we get the, the leverage, we get the different salary allocation and different roster construction build, uh, just really clear out our path to a first-place finish if just one thing breaks our way. So uh, yeah, here's the starting point. Um, would be interesting to see if we can put Purdy on here, but if not, you know, we can always go down to there's there's Carr plus Shahid, there's Tyrod Taylor plus Darren Waller uh, that we can go to to like have a little bit more flexibility. So we can start with Purdy um, and then kind of see where we want to work from there. 
I love I love this too, and just the uh, how intentional the plays are. And this is something you know one of the huge benefits of hand building, right? Where you can start a lineup with really intentional leverage spots uh, in a way that you know the optimizer you might say uh, block out CMC and Kyron. I don't want to play that chalk, but it's not going to know that when that fails in a way that Debo and Cooper Cup could be the biggest beneficiaries there. So I love this from a game theory angle. Um, I mean, I, I've been really warming to the uh, the Derek Carr stuff, even aside from my uh, my BBM hedge bias here. Do you wanna you wanna try uh, start with Purdy and then hey, like we talked about Purdy? He's the cover boy. That's the only reason yeah. I felt felt the um, compelled to do it. So no, let's skip Purdy. Let's go. Let's okay. go, um, Derek Carr, and let's go Rashid Shahid. Yep. Um, and if you want, I, I actually really like Carr double stacks here too. Yeah. So you can go, we go Shahid and Alave, and and kind of see what that gives us here. Yeah, I put Jawan in just for a sec to see that. Uh, yeah, we'll oh we'll be able to definitely make this work. Yeah, um, and then man, this is so fun, right? And that you're now getting in, you know, three legit uh, high end ceiling wide receivers on this build because even if people are able to get in like Samuel or Cup or whatever, like they're normally not going to be able to get the third wide receiver in as well up in this price range. Right, and if we're getting we're getting. Uh, <coughs> Sorry, too much, too much talking. <laughs> you're good. You're We're good. getting. Uh, that's one of the things I like about like this. The the double cheap running back is that people aren't going to be able to get. We get the double leverage off of those high price running backs, and then we also get that third high price wide receiver. So I mentioned, you know, I've, I've built some of these with Nico Collins. I built some of these with going other directions. But yeah, you can just get like really fun with this wide receiver position here. Um, it would be interesting. I guess there's really no way to get up to. Waller at tight end. So no matter what, we're going to be sacrificing at tight end. So I guess we go to defense first and kind of see what do we want to play at defense. Um, you know, yeah. going here, we could go down all the way down to the Patriots, twenty three hundred, right? That's like the one team that you can make that case for, where they're probably not putting up twelve to fifteen points, but they're probably putting up four to five to six points, right? They're not killing you. So um, that's why we could do this with Waller, or we go cheaper at tight end and go with a different defense. Yeah, let's just real quick look at that 2v2 because I think it's interesting. I guess like Broncos or Chargers defense would probably be like a mid-range defense you would use. Yeah, the defense is the one place I'm kind of behind this week. So let's, I mean, you can pick one, throw it in, and let's see what we've got here. Yeah, they're both 2,900, both, uh, you know, backup quarterbacks. Let's just do Broncos at home versus Easton Stick. That gives you 4K, which gets you up to, you're in the Hunter Henry, Pat Fryer move. So you're kind of looking at, a Waller Patriots defense. I know you mentioned Fryermuth or Chig earlier versus those two with Broncos defense. Pro probably lean to the Waller side, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, when we talk about like what's the ultimate ceiling on these, the obviously the Broncos could end up putting up 12 to 15 points, but so could the Patriots, right? If they get one little pick six or something breaks their way. Um, but Waller could genuinely put up, you know, actually his 22 pointer, he also barely missed an end zone touchdown or end zone touchdown, end zone catch um, that would have put him up to like, you know, 29 points in that game. So, Point being, he's capable of putting up that type of game, especially with Tyrod Taylor under center. So, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and throw Waller in here, yeah. uh, Patriots defense. And you know what, Pete? I don't think anybody's duping this because this feels a little bit uncomfortable. People don't want to play it, Carr. People don't want to play yeah. the Carr double stack. People don't want to play Debo and Cup. Uh, people don't want to play the Patriots defense. People don't want to play Waller. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is one of those where we're so far off the board that literally if we're correct – we're, we're like zooming past the field. Yeah. And we always want to think about not just what a roster looks like from a point scoring perspective, but also our path to first place. And this one just has like, we're not taking suboptimal plays to get a clear path to first place. We're just building differently than the field, but it just gives us this massive clear path 
to a first place finish because Shahid and Olave can combine for 50. Debo can score 35. Cut can score 35. Uh, Clyde Edward Tiller and Zamir White can match the high priced running backs if the high priced running backs score in the low 20s. Uh, and then Waller can score 30, right? So we just like, we have this opportunity to have a bunch of players that people don't have, except for whoever dupes us, uh, a bunch of players people don't have, and this clear path to a first place finish. So, uh, yeah, really like a build like this. And I, like, I'll, I'll mess around with a lot of rosters that look similar to this this week. I was just going to say the other one. How much of Carr would be lock button with Shahid, or would you entertain a Jawan Olave? I was wondering, like, what price range like that put us in for a punt wide receiver here? You're like in a 5,200 range if you did Jawan uh, with Broncos defense, and then we're looking for like a 5,200 wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, you could put Noah Brown in there would be the most interesting one. Um, yeah, I mean, I here's the thing: like Rashid Shahid is probably the Saints best wide receiver. I mean, he's so okay. good. Yeah. And now they're playing him all the snaps, right? So he is fundamentally underpriced. But like I said, he still has a broad range of outcomes. Like he's less likely to miss. His misses will be less bad than in the past. His ceiling is higher than in the past, but he could still have eight targets and catch five of them for 45 yards. So um, yeah, Shahid, like I really like him. I would almost prefer to take Alave out gotcha. over taking Shahid out, right? You go Shahid, and Jawan Johnson, and then you can move that Alave up to like a Nico or somebody else in that price range. Um, also, you know, we can take Debo out and go down to Ayuk. We we like there's a yeah. lot of different ways that we can mess around with the salary with just this structure. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fun things that you can do with with this starting point. And again, like I said, you could go down to Tyrod Taylor and and up to Darren Waller at tight end, yeah. which basically end up being the exact same price. I think you're spending 100 more than you're spending here on this roster with Carr and Jawan Johnson. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just, just a lot that you can do with this basic structure of getting the two cheap running backs, uh, the two wide receivers from, you know, two wide receivers from the 49ers and Rams, um, and just basically playing that leverage game. And you can mix and match that 50 different ways, um, that are all pretty sharp. So yeah, I like that. I like that approach this week, the Dr. Howard Bannister, um, hopefully some of you will get upside down with things and, yeah, uh, and take home the money. I like how that build is coming together. Going to mess with some variations of those myself this weekend. Uh, immediately after this, I'm heading over to the Badge Bros channel. We're going to talk through this week 17 slate through uh, an underdog lens. We'll go through Battle Royale strategy, our favorite scroll uh, down plays, as well as some pick'em builds. Uh, I got my full slate of programming this weekend, uh, Saturday night, I have uh, Easy from the Deposit Kingdom. He's a DFS best ball spreadsheet whiz. He's going to come on, get to know him a little bit better. We'll talk a little DFS and best ball. And then Sunday morning, we'll have the Week 17 Cram overnight news, all of that. You can get access to those shows, DFS After Dark and the Cram, by becoming YouTube members. You become a hand builder and opto bro. You get access to those shows. It also unlocks a channel in the Deposit Kingdom Discord, uh, Discord channel uh, where we talk about all of the slates, we post showdown stuff, lots of smart players in there. If you want to join that community as well as getting access to those shows. Um, the only other thing on my end, I posted uh, a 2023 highlight video from a bunch of shows and content that I did throughout the year. That's up on the YouTube channel and on my Twitter feed. Uh, genuinely appreciate you all. Jam, I'm not sure if this is going to end up being our last show uh, together this year. But if it is, man, uh, I've had a blast uh, working on this with you again this year. Yeah, man. Uh, favorite show that I've ever done. So glad we get to do it. Looking forward to next year. I would think we'll do week 18, but um, yeah, always fun and uh, and looking forward to what's ahead.
Yes. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys who hang out in the chat on these Friday afternoons. Send us your screenshots when you guys are shipping these tournaments on Sunday for JM. I'm Pete. We'll see you guys at the top of the leaderboards.